Welcome, welcome to the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. I'm Gorev. And I'm Kevin. Hey, Kev. Did you know that one of the essential principles of persuasion is consistency with ourselves? So, basically, there was a study that was done that if you called registered voters and you asked them just a simple question, are you going to vote? And they say yes, they're much more likely to actually vote because someone had called them and asked them and they said yes. I may or may not have been using this trick on people without realizing the scientific proof behind it. Well, it's not a trick. See, this is the issue with persuasion, is that people think it's a trick, but it's really, there's two types of persuasion. There's the smuggler and there's the detective. The smuggler is a trick. That's someone trying to bring in false information and trick you into something. A detective is someone who's just trying to bring stuff to the surface, right? They're just trying to show you and influence you in good ways. We're all influenced every day in different ways. And some of them are great. We're influenced by our parents because of our values. And even in marketing and advertising, we are influenced by ads through their stories. So that kind of brings us to this week's guest. This week, we have Eric Toda. Right now, Eric is the global head of social marketing at a company called Facebook. Uh, But more importantly, he has also had a lot of rich experience really through the whole lifetime of social marketing to date. He joined Facebook initially when it was still an up and rising company. And then he moved on to do uh, digital marketing at Nike, became one of the first business hires at Snap. Also had a lot of experience in Airbnb, Gap, Stitch Fix. So we're really excited to learn about social marketing from someone who's really seen the start of it and has been involved in it throughout. All right. And without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Eric. And just to start us off, Eric, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What is your story? What's my story? <laughs> um, you know, some people ask me this all the time, and I never really know what the right answer is. And the reason is because it's not very, it's not very exciting. Um, yeah, so I'm the I'm the global head of social marketing at Facebook. Uh, I've been I've been back at Facebook for about almost a year now. Um, but the funny thing is, is, Facebook was actually my first job out of college. Um, I was in law school, and didn't make it more than two weeks before, you know, saying no, not doing this. Um, and then I entered the job market in like the in like the height of uh, of the of the economic recession of two thousand eight. Um, I applied to like two hundred jobs, two hundred jobs across, you know, mayor's office to Pete's Coffee to you know all these different all all, all these different companies. But Facebook was literally the only one, the only one that answered me back. Um, at the time, Facebook was like 200 people. So it was really, really small. It's about 60,000 now globally. <clears throat> and so I was like, this is great. I, you know, I got my first hit. You know, someone's going to answer back and I'll take whatever job that they're going to give me. And they gave me a job on the advertising team, advertising operations team. And my job was to copy and paste lines of code to put the ads live on the site. Um, sounds very, very archaic. So yeah, totally feel old. Um, but I loved it. I loved it because it was interesting to me. I was working with great people 
And it taught me a lot about the advertising industry <clears throat> to the point where I started working with brands while I was at Facebook, brands like Nike, brands like Amazon. Um, and I fell in love with it to the point where I loved it so much that after about five years of Facebook, um, Nike comes calling and they're like, you know, we want you to help lead digital marketing for us. So I leave to go to Nike. Um, and Nike was definitely a crash course in being a top tier, tier one marketer. Like Nike marketers are a different breed. Um, they just understand storytelling, narrative, emotive imagery, creativity to a level I've never seen before in my career since Nike. Um, I loved it a lot. I worked on the Super Bowl. I worked on shoe launches. Like you name it. Like I got to do it. The, I mean, the problem with Nike though is that uh, I was living in Portland. My wife was living in San Francisco. So that's when I, I left Nike to go to Snapchat uh, as one of the first 90 employees. Uh, I was in charge of marketing. I was in charge of product marketing. I was in charge of operations and all these different things. And it was, it was totally cool. Um, it, was, it was totally fun. And I did that. And then I went to Airbnb to be to, you know, to lead a good percentage of the, the digital marketing across the globe. I left Airbnb after a couple of years to then go to Gap Inc. to be one of the five CMOs, uh, specifically uh, for a men's athletic and training brand called Hill City. Um, so it was my first time being a CMO, and that was amazing. And then took some time off, and now I'm back at Facebook as the head of social. Now, that's a really, really interesting story, being early at Facebook, early at Snap, leading these so many diverse different teams. That's really cool. So I was interested about when you left law school after two weeks in a in 2008 recession to join at the small building company it was really small it was super small at the time yeah and I, I i'll tell you this you probably won't remember it uh myspace was bigger than it yahoo was trying to buy it uh friendster friendster was bigger than it now i'm really dating myself of like how old i actually am um but yeah it was it was a huge risk man It was a huge risk to leave you know especially like Here's the reality too. You see what I look like. I'm an Asian American, right? And my mom's an immigrant from the Philippines. You can imagine just how much how much weight that she puts on me to get to get a accelerated degree, right? Not not a bachelor. Like a bachelor's any everybody gets a bachelor's, right? But to her she's like, "No, no, no, no. You're going to get a JD. And then after that, you're going to get an MBA." And I'm like, well, "That's so much," right? And then I just I was just like, "You know what? No, I'm done. I'm I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this." You talked about a, l a little bit about being on Facebook uh, when it was still a very much up and coming company, and mm -hmm. how uh, the the type of marketing you were doing was very different from what it is now. So, uh, is that your uh, entry to social marketing? Yeah, totally. I mean, me joining Facebook was definitely my entry to social marketing. I think. Um, I think. Social media didn't exist like that. That term didn't exist when I joined Facebook. Like that wasn't a thing yet, right? Like Twitter was still building. Um, Snapchat didn't exist yet. Like, and so like a lot of these platforms didn't ex Instagram didn't exist yet, right? Um, and so yeah, like I, I think as what I what I came into was a website that had traditional banner ads like those squares and the big, you know, the big banners on top. And like, if you go to like ESPN.com, like you see those, um, that's the advertising industry that I entered in. The advertising industry that you're talking about is the one that you see influencers use and brands use and tweets and posts and all that stuff. 
that didn't happen until like two years after I joined Facebook. Like that whole world, that advent of that world did not become mature enough until like, yeah, until like 2011, maybe, uh, maybe 2010. But yeah, so like I was a part of the building blocks of that, right? The whole ad, like social ad ecosystem, uh, many of those systems that brands and people have built their entire careers on, like I built those systems. I helped build those systems. Um, there are certain campaigns that I was just lucky enough to work on that changed entire parts of our, our industry, uh, whether it's working with a certain influencer, whether that's doing work with Nike, whatever that was, right? So I, I think me coming through and joining Facebook, I didn't join the social marketing industry then. I joined the social marketing industry two years into Facebook when it actually became a thing. Um, and the work that I did, I think, helped certainly helped push that notion forward of what social marketing should look like uh, because the brands I was working with, right? Like Nike's a culture shifting brand. I mean, if Nike does something, Oreo is going to do it. If Oreo is going to do it, you know, Pepsi and Coca-Cola are going to do it. And Starbucks is going to do it. And so um, I'm proud to say that I was part of certain campaigns that certainly helped define and, and continue to redefine um, what digital marketing looks like for sure. We hear so many different types of marketing. The word gets thrown on a lot. Sure. Can you define social marketing in the world you work in? Social marketing or digital marketing is just slang term for the state of the internet today. Like, just to be honest, like, just like, uh, I don't know, like influencers, right? It's like influencers existed in the 1920s. The, they were just called celebrities, right? They existed in the 1930s and 40s. They were just a Tupper, like, there was like the woman at a Tupperware party that, had the Tupperware and that showed it to her friends and then everybody bought the Tupperware, right? Um, community. Community existed way before social too. That's what religions are. <laughs> religions are community. Um, towns are, 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 are community. So I look at like the notion of social marketing and digital marketing as literally just like the easiest, most slang term of saying, this is what marketing looks like today. And what that really means is, is brands who have traditionally put their money in TV or radio and print. Now look at the ways that they distribute and they say, we're going to go digital first. Like we're, we're going to make sure it's on a website. We're going to make sure it's on social. We're going to make sure it's on a podcast, uh, through show notes, whatever. And then we're going to do TV and then we're going to do billboards. So then it's like, you, all we did was just flip it on his head. Um, I think the level of marketing that I do is certainly, uh, integrated across all those platforms, right? Web, social, um, email, um, literally anything that connects to someone through a pixel, essentially. What I've always loved about digital marketing and social is that you get feedback very quickly, like very quickly. You launch a TV spot in the 80s, you don't know if it worked. You have no idea if it worked, right? You don't know what people are saying about it. Maybe you'll see about in the, like, maybe you'll, someone will bump into you like, oh, you ran that spot. And like, like yeah, what do you think? They're like, oh, it was cool. Um, I see feedback within seconds of posting something, right? Whether people love it, whether people hate it. Um, and that instant feedback allows you to iterate really quickly. It allows you to be very culturally relevant. And I think that's one of the greatest things about this chapter of our industry is that we can move faster, but also we can elicit feedback way quicker and learn way quicker, um, than my predecessors did in previous generations. You've worked at a lot of different companies and brands. From your understanding uh, and experience at these brands, how do you see 
the, the audience and the values differ across, you know, some of these brands you've worked at or uh, anything this similar? It depends on the business. So it certainly depends on the business, right? I think yeah. certain, certain brands that I've worked at are very brand focused. So they're very storytelling focused, Airbnb, Nike being two of those. Um, other brands are very product focused. Like, so, okay, the product takes a, a front seat, like an Apple. Apple's very much a product focused company and they that's the primary, you know, that's the primary thing that they speak about to the public. Stitch Fix is, is very much seasonal. Um, and then they'd look to hit that. But I think every single one of those brands that I've worked at, they understand the value that they bring to the customer's life, right? Whether that's Facebook with building community and connection, whether that's Nike with enabling athleticism and inspiration, whether that's Snapchat you know, through creativity, whether that's Airbnb, you know, um, allowing people to travel without borders and feel like they do belong anywhere. Um, those are all values that represent each and every single one of those companies. It's how they come to life, though, is 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 different, right? Again, so it, de- it depends on what the priority is for those companies, um, and from that, the stories follow. So, not just it's not just every single brand has a very cookie cutter way of doing things. It's just based on priorities. And you know, you talked about like the difference between brand focus and product focused companies. Is that a conscious effort that starts out right from the founding or does that grow and kind of grows? It grows over time. I think that no company is built with like, this is how our brand is going to be represented to the community. Like you build a product, right? You build a product kind of like this, right? Um, The linen suit and and, and plastic tie podcast. When you built this, you're like, okay, cool. We're just gonna have a podcast and we're going to have some, some some interesting speakers on it and, you know, see what happens eventually over time as you, as you two become very successful and this becomes more of like a media empire or hopefully um, you're going to have to ask yourselves, what do we stand for? Do we just let anybody on the show? Do we literally talk about anything? Like what, what are the guiding principles like a soul, essentially, like what is the soul of linen suit and plastic tie? And of the soul, what are the values that stand up this company? And every single guest, do they match those values? Um, and that's the work that happens at hundreds of thousands of companies uh, every single day. It's that they realize, oh, okay, we mean something different than what we actually thought we were going to mean and we need to be able to embrace that reconcile that uh, or adjust that no company is built with like this is who we are that's built over time that's built over time that's built over repetition that's built over understanding who your community is so kind of going on that in your career as a storyteller someone who's told a lot of stories do you have any central storytelling core values tell the truth i mean that's it's pretty simple, right? I think um, a lot of a lot of marketers like to create fiction. I don't like to create fiction. Um, there's so many beautiful stories out there through every single industry, and those stories are probably way better than any fiction that you can create. To be honest with you, um, storytelling is core to the human experience. Like it's 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 how traditions are passed on from one generation to another. It's how laws were passed on before like the internet, before like written word. It's how uh, religions were created. Like it's, it's, all, it's all rooted in storytelling. And I think the more that we try to overcomplicate it, the more that we do create fiction, right? 
And the more the data points that you have, the more you want to create fiction to serve the data points. But one of the things that I've always said to every single one of my teams is tell the truth, no fiction. Because the more you tell the truth, the more people will see that and tell their story, which will be true. And it's your job to not create something new. It's your job to curate around you as, as a brand. And so that principle is probably the foundational aspect of all my storytelling. Just tell the truth. I think that's really inspiring. It's a really important message, especially when you're building or you're creating brands because telling the truth, telling authentic stories, people just resonate and connect with them better. Marketing is a storytelling vehicle. Uh, I, I've, I've said this, but marketing is the humanity. It's, it's the humanity of business. You know, there's a lot of parts of the business that are just not human at all. You know, like some are very like rooted in numbers. Some are just very tactical and we get the answer done and that's it. Marketing will forever represent the the human aspect of business. And I think the more that we understand that, the more that it's not just a means to an end. I think certainly there are parts of it that are a means to an end, like driving a click or whatever. But we can never forget the power of the human experience um, and how we relate to humans on a human level. Because at the end of the day, no matter if you're looking at an ad on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, whoever made it is a human and whoever's looking at it is a human. Therefore, we should not lose our humanity in what we do, right? Because so many other industries are. Right, so many other industries are becoming automated. So many other industries are becoming so overly data focused that they just lose the humanity. And I think as marketers, specifically, you know, like Kevin, like you, you're learning, you know, business analytics and data analytics, right? Like, there's such a rich story to be told there of like why certain numbers are the way they are based on behaviors, right? You could easily say, no, we're going to optimize. X for Y because X drove more clicks and the end. Tell me why that is and tell me what changes did we make that resonated with people more. And that's, that's the human, that's the human experience. Yeah. And you just answered the next question I was going to ask just about marketing analytics, because we see a lot of company embracing kind of that trends. I, I really think it's an intricate thing to kind of balance the human aspect and uh, data or automated modeling aspect of things. You have to remember who generated those numbers. You have to remember why they generated those numbers and what it meant to them. Um, yeah, we're taking account for them and yeah, we're measuring them. Um, we have to remember it's like there's a deeply human aspect to it. Like you could have put something really offensive on there and they wouldn't have clicked it, right? But if you're just like, oh yeah, it just didn't work and you didn't tell the rest of the team why it didn't work because they put something offensive on there, nothing changes. Right. So it's just about remembering that we are in a human business and probably one of the most human businesses um, in the entire industry. Kind of on that point about how automation and technology has joined the game and a lot of companies over reliance on things like that. How has technology changed the way we tell stories and communicate? Well, let me let me tell you this. Um, picture this, right? <clears throat> it's like a really hot summer day and you're on a road trip. And you walk into a bar. I think I think you're both 21. Um, I hope you are at yep. least. All right, yeah. okay. all right, all right, cool, cool. You walk into a bar, 
and it's your favorite bar, right? And the bartender slides you your drink before you even get to the counter, already poured it. Great. And your favorite song starts playing on the, uh, over the, over the PA. And in your mind, you're probably thinking like, this is probably happening in like the 1940s, right? It's like, like some picturesque, like Western town. And you're like, this is like a small town thing where like the bartender just knows you and he just like slides you, slides you your drink and your favorite song starts playing. What I'm telling you, you is this is actually the future. You walk into any single bar ever in an entire world and based on your phone, the bartender already knows you. You've already paid for that drink. And based on what you've purchased before, he's going to pour you that drink that you like because it's based on you know previous purchases. Your favorite song is just playing off your Spotify, right? And it just knows that because of your phone. It's proximity. And technology has what it's done. It's allowed personalization and scale to meet you anywhere that you are. It's straight up. Right. And I think that that's what it's done. It's like it's allowed you to move freely throughout your life and not lose any connection points that you've had that probably hindered people in the 70s, 80s, 90s, right? Before, before the advent of the cell phone. And I think when it comes to communication, um, it's allowed you to connect with people that honestly you wouldn't before because you just didn't have the means to, right? Like my grandmother lives in the Philippines and I see her all the time. I get to see her face all the time. Um, through FaceTime and through all these different things. My kids get to see her face all the time. Um, if this was the 90s, they would just have to hear her voice on a very expensive collect call. I could now do that through my phone pretty much for free. And so it's just allowed you to scale a lot more. It's allowed you to, to bring personalization with you to the point where you think it's, again, you think it's like some, some nostalgic picture of like connection, you know, of like some small town USA. But what if technology made every town a small town USA and everybody know who you were, then your backstory, all that stuff. That's what technology is doing. And so I do think it, it provides you a level of comfort wherever you are in the world. I, I love I loved that story because you, you kind of can picture it and then you see it and there's a twist with technology on it. Um, I know there's a lot of people who are really fearful of kind of a world around that. However, with hyper-personalization mm -hmm. and data and the world changing around you. Um, I guess my question is, what are the safeguards in place? Is that something that we should be trusting different companies? Or I think that's all being written. I think it's all being written in, in our lifetime. I think technology and things, you know, the rapid rise of innovation um, is happening at a pace that, you know, one, our perception is not catching up with. And so we're, we, we have to adjust, but two, um, so many have like, like society has to adjust. Right. And I think, you know, I can't speak too much to it just because like, I, I, I don't even know. Um, but technology has progressed in a way that has made our lives more convenient. And we as society have molded around that. I think as technology progresses, yeah, I think there's going to be times in which we have to understand like what's good and what's bad. That's, that's natural. Um, just think about this, like think about all like the, 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 the eyeglasses with cameras and AR on it never caught on, did they? Right. When everyone was like, Oh, they're going to catch on. Like mm, didn't, didn't catch on, did they? Um, or at least not yet. So I, I think like we as a society also push back too, you know, to, uh, to like a point where we, where we're comfortable with. So 
I do think I have a lot of faith in society to to navigate us in a way that is safe and in a way that makes sense, um, in a way that is at the pace that we want. So to uh, bring it close to every one of our episodes, we have this segment called Suspenders. It works like this. We ask you a random fun question that's unrelated to anything, and you can give us any answer you feel like. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, God, I hope it's a good one. So far away, far away. <laughs> yeah, our question of the day is: You've been given an elephant. You can't get rid of it. What would you do with it? I can't get rid of it. I nope. mean, I, w- I wouldn't want to give to, to get rid of it. Yeah, <laughs> elephants are awesome. Um, I kind of felt like that in 2012 when my wife and I went to Thailand, and like you, you get to babysit an elephant and like take care of it for like a day. You get to bathe it, feed it. Um, so I love elephants, just just first and foremost. Um, I would ride it. I would I would ride around everywhere. You know. Everywhere possible, I would actually go to schools. I would go to schools、um, to see the joy on kids' faces to just see this elephant. And、um, elephants are so friendly; they're so so friendly.、Um, there was a baby elephant in Thailand that just like kept ramming up against me, like like, like I was a dog.、Um, so I would hope that the elephant's a little bit bigger and it doesn't do that.、Uh, it's a little more mature, but I would I would honestly bring it to schools and daycares and all that stuff just to see kids. Just to see its faces, I think where it would sleep, no idea, no idea.、Uh, how I would feed it, like、uh, thousands of bananas and thousands of like, you know, potatoes all the time, I have no idea.、Um, but that's literally my first thought. My first thought is, okay, I can't get rid of this thing. Let's go have fun. Let's go show kids. Let's go show kids a good time because they would probably be like so shocked and amazed to see this enormous friendly animal、um, that I would be riding on top of. Yeah, forget about Ferraris. That's awesome. <laughs> no, dude, like that—that's awesome. That's awesome. And like you know, I'm have the have the elephant help me clear out my gutters too. You know, it's so tall. I could just get my leaf blower and just stand on top of them and clear out my gutters before the next storm. No, I I, I would love to to do that for kids. I think it'd be so cool. I love that we asked a random question and you still had an emotional connection and a story about the elephant. <laughs> I love when that worked out. <laughs> it worked out real well, man. It worked out real well. And again, if you ever get the chance to go to Chiang Mai, Thailand,、uh, go babysit an elephant.、Um, it's amazing. It's like a, a, a truly a life changing experience for sure. Definitely. I'm just excited for the next time I can get on a plane. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Right. Welcome back to Top Hat. This is the part of the podcast where we analyze and dissect some of the key learnings we got from this week's expert storyteller. And this week we had Eric Toda, an amazing, amazing marketing professional who's been seen it all.、Um, and the first thing he really talked about that was really interesting was the difference between brand and product-focused companies, and analyzing the key differences in how they market, what their story is. Some are focused on their communities and the story they're telling. Some are focused on what story their product tells. And this is not really something you can ingrain right off the bat. It's not the founders walk in and say, "This is how I want our community to perceive it." Brand focus also grows over time. There's something else that、um, Eric told us about, and and that is where you really start to figure out、uh, what 
we as a brand stand for? What is the heart and soul, the core values uh, that a brand entails? And from there,、uh, what kind of audience or elements or customers、uh, or products we want to bring out or, or attract? Something else、uh, that I find really interesting, especially as a data person, is his statement that marketing is the humanity of business. It's the connection to the consumer, right? You know, marketing is the public face. It's it's how a company tells its story, and that's the most human part of any company. Their story, how they're connecting with the consumer, especially for consumer-facing companies that Eric's worked with. And nowadays, you know, we we have this great resource that is data. We can look at to、uh, um, measure the performance of, of marketing and do marketing analytics. But at the same time, is we when we get too tunnel vision on data, it is easy to lose sight of the humanity aspect of marketing. So what Eric said about、um, this. Humanity focus, I think, is really important,、uh, especially that、uh, now that we have data and analytics to look at. Every storyteller keeps reminding us that it's about the human. Eric was great at telling us to simplify, and I think that's our third and key final learning for this week: is the best stories, the best marketing campaigns, the stuff that really resonates with people, is when you can tell the truth. Telling the truth is the way to connect with people, to tell authentic stories. That's gonna do it. This has been another great episode of the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. See y'all next week.